Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 121 for December 6th, 2007. Is privacy dead? Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds on Site, looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds on Site can help. Visit I Want to Be a Nerd. Com. And by listeners like you. Thanks for your donations. It's time for Security Now with Mr. Steve Gibson, the guru of technology and security and privacy. Hello, Steve. Ah, uh, Leo, I think after we're in our third year now, and you and I, you and I have known each other for decades, you, you can drop the mister. Decades? Uh, decades? Yeah. Is it really? Has it been decades? I think well, it has been. yeah, Tech TV was launched. Well, we have the 10th anniversary of Tech TV is in uh, May. Okay, almost a decade. A decade. Almost yeah. And of course, decade. we knew of each other well before oh, that. Well, so. you're world famous. The, the creator <laughs> of the Apple II light pen. Many, many don't know that. Ah, uh, yes. And then Spinrite, of course, has been going. How, how many years old is Spinrite? Spinrite is 20 years old. Whoa, really? Yep. It's, wow. um, I, I guess not quite. Um, Sue, who's been with me for seems like forever she's uh this month she celebrates her 20th anniversary in my employ and my tech support guy wow. greg sent me an email like last week saying hey you just didn't know if you knew it uh, no noticed it but i've been with you for 17 years wow. so that's that's, stabi- it's, it's, that's stability yeah. for yeah and you know i think a lot of software vendors might not say might not trumpet the fact that they've been around for two decades but you are on version six you have and it, and you have been updating it, and in many ways, I think because how hard drives operate really doesn't change that much, right? I mean, well, this- exactly. I think I think the, the the issue is that I really went down to the fundamentals with Spinrite, and those haven't changed. Right. You know, they've God knows drives have gotten insane. I will never forget when I sent my my lead tech guy out to get a bigger drive for our our server. And, you know, he went off to Fry's, our, our local electronics retailer, and he, he came back and we thought maybe, oh, wow, you know, could it be 800 megs? That would that, you know, that'd be so much more than we have now. I think we probably had like 120 or something. And he came back with sort of a sheepish look on his face and he says, uh, I hope this is OK. And I said, what? His name was, uh, Jim, his name was Jim Ralph. And and he said, well, I got a gig. I said, oh. A gig? I mean, no one had ever seen such a thing. A gigabyte. You know, it was like one of the full, five, you know, five and a quarter inch full height drives with a huge tower of, of heads inside just crammed with platters Amazing. in order to get Amazing. a gigabyte. So it's like, whoa, times have changed. But, but you know, and Spinrite, as we know, has, has kept up with it. And But still, the fundamentals of drives have not changed. So, you know, all that has remained the same. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I rem- I remember very well my uh, first twenty megabyte drive. That was a big deal when they went to MFM. 
Well, I, in fact, I think that was in my first XP, a real, you know, steel tank IBM XP had 20 megabytes. It's like, oh, I'm never XT. Built this up. X, oh, sure. <laughs> right. XT, XT, of course. X, yes. And I think that was an extreme or extended. That was the that was the one that went because uh, the first IBM PC had a four point something seven seven megahertz four, processor. Four point seven seven megahertz, eight uh, eight thousand and eight processor and a cassette interface no drives not even a hard not a hard drive not even a floppy yep and then the xt was the first with a hard drive right and then the at was a 286 was it i'm trying to remember now we'll get emails Uh, yeah the at the advanced technology uh, it was a pc slash at and that was a 286 i think that was eight megahertz and then if you got a clone at i remember we got clone ats that were Ooh, 10 megahertz, but they were very unreliable. They couldn't, the memory couldn't keep up with the they processor. Were, right. They were sort of being, they were sort of being overclocked. They were and basically like, well, overclocked. it works. And, and of course, not, and then of course the clone market happened and, uh, and Asia got involved. Right. And so things really went wild at that point. I, we, we were trying to run a BBS. I set up a BBS for one of the first Mac stores in San Francisco. And it just was horribly unreliable. That's because we'd put it on a 10 megahertz processor, an AT clone. And now in retrospect, I know exactly what was wrong. It was over. We were overclocking the thing and we weren't. It just was failing all the time. It was right. Free. And there were all there were all kinds of third party tools that were like, you know, they were called the over thruster and the overdrive yeah. and and all kinds of. I mean, literally with a potentiometer, you know, a, 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 a dial sticking out the back. You turn it and up. You, 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 you turn it up until the machine locked up and, <laughs> and stopped working and then you'd back it off a little bit. Oh, That's I mean, so that funny. was the wild, wild west. That's back so then. funny. Well, uh, we're we're going to come back to the 21st century now, <laughs> although someday I really want to do and maybe get together a number of people like you uh, with histories going back that far and do a do a computer history show. Jerry Pornell would be perfect. Pornell, too, for that. Yeah. Wouldn't that and, be fun? And Dvorak. It really would be just a nostalgic, you know, old cranky old men. You know, this is the way things used to be. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, I've always really wanted fun. to do that. Yeah. You know, speaking of of contemporary stuff, I forgot to ask you when when we were talking before we began recording. Did you get your Kindle? Not yet. Did you get yours? Oh yeah, mine's supposed yeah, to come yeah, today yeah. or tomorrow. Okay. Well, how we'll, we'll wait to talk about it until you've had some experience with it. I are you happy I really, so far? I really, I, I'm addicted. Yeah, I would it, like it, to wait, frankly, because I think uh, the best thing to do on something like this is to give it a few weeks. Yes, I agree. So maybe after the holidays, because we're going to be uh, pre-taping a lot of shows uh, over the next week or so. But maybe after we've both had time, I'm going to probably take it to Egypt and really had to have an experience with it. Maybe early next year we can talk about the Kindle. Yeah, that'd be good. I, uh, I, I wanted to use the power of the podcast to to ask our listeners if they are Amazon users to check out my review, which is online, and give it a thumbs up if they think it's worthy, because there are what happened is the Kindle, if if nothing else, is incredibly controversial. It's just phenomenal how many people hate it without ever using it or seeing it. And so, if you look at the if you look at up the Kindle on Amazon, there's there's more negatives, that is to say, one stars than there are five stars. Yet. None of the one-star people own it or have ever seen it yeah. or used it. They just, they just know they hate it. 
And so uh, anyway, what I, what, what I did was I created a simple URL for our listeners. If, if they'll just go use a web browser and put in SNP URL, S-N-I-P-U-R-L slash S-K-R, stands for Steve's Kindle Review. That'll take you to my review of the Kindle, what I think about it, what I think it means. And, and the problem is there are already so many and I'm late in the game because a lot of beta testers were sticking reviews up that no one is seeing mine. So I'd love it if our listeners uh, would, would put in SNP URL, S-N-I-P-U-R-L slash S-K-R for Steve's Kindle review. And much as they were able to vote this podcast, the number one technology and science podcast, it would be really cool if people would say, yes, this review uh, was useful to me, which would raise its score so that people who are actually considering buying a Kindle might have a chance to find mine. Because right now I'm like down on the fourth endless page of reviews. And well, it won't so be too it, long because it says now 248 people have found this review helpful. So, Except that uh, 2,800 and some odd have found other people's reviews oh, helpful. Interesting. The reviews have been there for so long. And mine, you know, I waited until I owned it. And as you suggested, I waited a week of using it and right. really got a sense for how it is and compared it to the other ebook readers and so forth. So anyway, no, I, don't, I don't see how to uh, vote. It's on down this. at the very bottom, at the bottom of the review, there oh, should be a, yes, yes I found I this see. helpful. In each comment, it said, Oh no, that's the comment. Oh, I have to go to page two. You have two pages of no. Wow. Permit. Was this review helpful to you? There it is. But then it doesn't give me anything. It just says report this. <laughs> Maybe I'm not logged in. No, I'm logged in. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going to vote for you because you obviously put a lot of thought into this. Thank you. And yeah. 248 or 58 or however many people have also found the button to say, yes, it was useful. So yeah, it must be there somewhere. Apparently I'm not smart enough. <laughs> or my browser. I'm using Safari. <laughs> Maybe my browser isn't smart enough. Um, anyway, that's, yeah. I mean, and, and again, I, I want to kind of give it a, a long chance. Now, you and I are kind of, the other thing is we, you and I are avid ebook readers. So and that's, yes, we're that's an the unusual way I, crowd. Yes, that's the way I start out. I explain who I am and that I, you know, I really want it to be a good thing. I want it to work. I want to believe, you know, like in Tinkerbell, so her light gets brighter. I want to, I want to, I want to believe in eBooks and <laughs> and and want them to to succeed. And uh, and I'm really happy with good. with the Kindle. So yeah, great. Let us uh, uh, move on to the topic at hand. Now, last week we talked about third party cookies. And particularly in relationship to this whole issue of PayPal and uh, and, and uh, DoubleClick. Have you heard right. from anybody from PayPal or DoubleClick? I haven't. Nope. Not, not a word. A peep. Not a peep. Not, isn't that weird? Well, I just think, I mean, this, this frankly, I mean, as, as we said, I guess it was, what, two weeks ago, because um, we did a Q&A last week, um, um, my sense is that that PayPal is a company desperately in need of competition. They, you yeah. know, I mean, they really have cornered the market. And and in my own endeavors to get any kind of contact with a human, it's just been hugely thwarted. It's just impossible to find anyone there. And and I, I've I've heard you know anecdotally again from people. I mean, I I've personally. Never had a problem using PayPal services of any sort, except that I would love to get that virtual debit card, and I can't. 
because right. the automated process doesn't recognize me properly. And I've tried several times, literally for hours, with you know my phone on speakerphone, on hold, trying to get a hold of someone. And it's just it's virtually impossible to find a human being. So you know, I mean, there are there are sort of a classic internet service. Unfortunately, you know, they're also a behemoth and. And for whatever reason, um, despite the fact that our podcast has proven reach, um, it didn't reach anybody at PayPal, sure. or at least they, they they didn't reach back. Well, maybe they didn't have anything to say. And <laughs> maybe yes. they have no answer for us. You know, um, weird, just weird. But uh, yeah, no, nothing from uh, on my half, my side either. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to cover before uh, we get? underway here with our new uh, show i did have a and and do have a really fun and this is sort of a different and and humorous even uh spin right story to share with people um that came in at the beginning of november uh from thomas martin who said i've listened to so many people talk about how spin right has either helped them get lucky or save the day my story is not as exciting but it made me the savior of many. <laughs> I have a generation three iPod that had, or he says, I had a generation three iPod that had a hard drive issue a couple of years back. And I was so pissed. I actually made it a doorstop for my office over time. <laughs> all my friends and their friends started giving me their iPods that had stopped working due to hard drive issues. Hmm. Now, the funny thing is, over about three years, I collected exactly 26 dead iPods. Wow. I had paperweights, bookends, doorstops. It was just a running joke. Considering how many episodes of Security Now I've listened to, I should be slapped for not thinking about <laughs> Spinrite sooner. He says, recently with my Generation 5 iPod, I had Vista tell me, it could repair the drive on my storage device. Huh. Then syncing failed. Oh, boy. At that time, I was listening to you talk about how some guy got lucky dating a woman thanks to Spinrite. Then it was like that light bulb went off. I went... <laughs> Okay. He says, I went to GRC and purchased a copy during the episode, and like magic, my Gen 5 iPod was working again. Then I started looking around my office at all the bookends and decided to try it on them. He said, parens, the iPods he collected from his friends. I guess once you, I mean, it's hard to get an iPod working with spin, right? Because you have to get a connector and everything. But once you do it once, it's easy because right. now you've got all the hardware. You've got the cables and things. Right. He says, go figure. It worked time and time oh, again. Wow. I found myself over the next week calling friends and telling them their iPods worked. Wow. Thank God most of my friends filled out owner information. It's funny. It's not until I'm just reading this now to you, Leo, that I realized what he meant by that. That's how he was able to figure out who whose was whose. Who, exactly. Which yeah. iPod belonged to who. Otherwise, they all look the same. I guess now he's got iPods filled with oldies. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, maybe I should have sold them all on eBay. But my goodness, I felt silly having listened to you for this long and never drawing the relationship between Spinrite and my broken doorstops. Great story. So I thought Does that he was, say I how kinda... many total that he had, I wonder? Well, yeah, he says he had 26. 26? 26 dead iPods. He must have just had like an, you know, an iPod circus in his office. It's interesting. With that he, yeah, that he stuff. was the one people went to. I guess once... 
once you have the first 10, <laughs> people start to recognize you as the guy to give your... I have a dead iPod. If I had known, I would have given him my dead iPod. Donate your dead iPods and, and Thomas Martin will fix them See, for you. See, I, I know that SpinRite will fix this. I know it's a hard drive thing, but I just... It's the pain of getting all the, you know, the equipment and, you know, the connectors and all that stuff. Yeah, well, and Leo, it's why I didn't own an iPod until they took the hard drive out. Right. Because it's just, you just, I mean. You, you know, know better than course, anyone they're going to fail. I was going to say, no one knows better than right. I do how flaky, you know, spinning magnetic drives are, especially in a little consumer device that you're inherently going to sort of just toss around. Right. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, there you go. There's a nice story. By the way, I want to mention, <laughs> I have, uh, uh, as you know, every time I do a Nerds on Sight commercial, which this is about to be, by the way, just a little heads up, uh, I say, I don't know how to describe Nerds on Sight, so Brian Spiffy Tech said, well, here you go. How about this? A coalition of independently owned IT technicians, consultants, and contractors. Sounds good. A coalition. I like I like federation. Is federation, it, is it federation or guild. Yeah. Guild, guild is the yeah. word that Alex Lindsay uses for pixel cord. And I think that's kind of a good description. Here's what it is. It, well, you know, I want to say franchise is kind of like a franchise, but it's it's so much more than that because you get training, you get support. If you're in IT, and it could be any kind of IT. I mean, Nerds on Site covers so much stuff from Cisco to Oracle, PC to Mac. They have fix-it technicians, they have website designers, programmers, project managers, even sales, trainers, of course, security experts, antivirus gurus, especially if you're the kind of person who's providing uh, IT support, whether it's at a Soho, at homes, or on-site, or in a business, this is the place for you. Nerds are people who are in business for themselves, but not by themselves. You focus on your passion, not the burdens of running a business, and what support? Got a question? Ask a nerd. They have, have if they have training. University of Nerdology has 250 competencies in systems architecture design, software development, on-site IT, desktop support, Soho residential IT. I mean everything you'd want to know. Even a Staro, you get a Staro certification because they are an authorized Staro solution provider. In fact, they have a full line of UTM solutions, and you learn how to use them, and then you can offer them to your clients. It goes on and on and on, but I just want to tell you, it's easy to find out more. Easy to find out for yourself what it means to be a nerd. Go to www.iwantobeanerd.com and register for a nerds-only meeting in your area today. When I say your area, I mean your area. They're in eight countries. Canada, the U.S., Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, Bolivia, and Singapore. Yes, all over the world, the nerds are taking over. Iwanttobeanerd.com. We thank Nerds on Site so much for their support of Security Now. And now, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, <laughs> let us move on to our topic of the day. You know, I wanted to I, I wanted to sort of address explicitly something that we've touched on tangentially many times, but but you know, you and I have never really discussed. And I know you've got interesting and 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 probably some strong feelings about the issue. And that that is the way technology is impinging on our privacy, oh. I mean, to an increasing degree. Well, and this, you know, this kind of cut, takes off of what we were talking about with DoubleClick and uh, Exactly. Uh, because as you surf the net, uh, you, you know, you assume that there are some protections of your privacy. But as it turns out, as we learn more and more, there aren't. Well, and there are, you know, it, it's pervasive, too. It's certainly with, with computers, we have the problem. But even with, you know, 
more and more technology, we're seeing an, an increasing level of, well, first of all, just sort of passive action, but then also increasingly aggressive action. I mean, th- there was a there was a funny uh, episode um, of a TV show. Um, it was a sitcom with Paul Reiser. Um, I can't think of the name of. Oh, the, I love the that. Sh- Mad about you. Bad about you. Yeah, yeah, he and his wife. It was actually I thought it was really very Great very show. clever. I enjoyed that. And show, there, yeah. there there was one episode where he was really upset with his TiVo because, as he explained it to his wife, his TiVo had decided that he was gay. And, <laughs> and, and that, by the way, is a takeoff on a famous Wall Street Journal story. My TiVo thinks I'm gay. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 and of course, so, you know, we know that TiVo, those users who have TiVo, it has this facility where you can give shows thumbs up and thumbs down, right. sort of ba- basically rating shows that you like or dislike. And the idea is that using sort of this network awareness technology that we're seeing more and more, so sort of an early form of social networking, you'd be training your TiVo about the things you like, and then it would be recording things that are like the things right. you know that the, the, it thinks are like the things that you like based oh. on some sort of networking model. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that's going on, of course, and again, it's in the privacy statement. If you go to the TiVo website, they they tell you that everything you do with the TiVo is recorded. Hmm. They know when you fast forward through commercials. They know when you stop watching a show midway. They 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 know exactly what your season pass schedule is. That is all the shows that you've elected to have TiVo record for you. I mean, basically, it's like having a Nielsen box sitting there watching everything you do. And in in you know issues of privacy discussions with people, they've said, yes, except that families who are Nielsen families who are knowing that they're being monitored, they're being reimbursed for for having themselves monitored, whereas you know, with TiVo, you actually pay a, you pay a subscription fee and in I, order. To, I could tell you, have, TiVo makes a lot of money selling that information. By the way, because uh, I've seen those reports, and they've offered them they offered them as t- at Tech TV to us, and they're very expensive. no kidding. So you've actually seen like that kind of data, but and I have to say this, and this is the case in a lot of these privacy invasions, it's aggregate data. It's not about an, an, any individual. I can't find out what Steve Gibson watched. TiVo knows. Uh, of course. But I can't buy that information. But I can buy what everybody who watched the screensavers. They gave us once a report for the screensavers, and it's a graph. You can watch how many times each episode, each part was rewound, watched, watched again. There's spikes where people apparently rewind several times. It's very, for a, progr- a television programmer, hugely valuable. Yeah, I can see that. Now, of course, the problem is that TiVo does know me. They know. Because, you bet. Yeah, exactly. They know. And as we know, unfortunately, anything that any company knows can be forced from them by subpoena. By government. Yeah, exactly. So, so again, you know, clearly they're producing aggregate anonymized summaries, which is all that anyone would want in general anyway. And I can't imagine why it represents a, a specific privacy threat to me for, you know, Uncle Sam to to know specifically what shows I'm watching. Um, and you can argue, I guess, maybe that, I don't know, if, do you think the terrorists watch different shows than <laughs> regular people? I, yeah, I think in the case of your TiVo, 
it probably isn't a huge loss, but but think about your library card or what movies you rent. In fact, the Patriot well, Act allows the government to find out from grocery stores what food you buy. And, and, and they've asked in the past, who's buying hummus? And well, yes. And, and in fact, um, I, I, I posted to our news groups that I was going to I wanted to discuss this topic and asked people sort of in general, are there any pet peeves that they have? Um, and there was an, a, a report from one of our posters who mentioned that that they that, that his wife needed to do something. I don't remember exactly what the details were, but she was able to look up on the website everything they had ever purchased at the grocery store. Mm. So, I mean, you know, that sort of data exists and I'm sure it's useful for improving the quality of their service at some level. But, well, you know, it, it, it you, is there and it's being aggregated. Do you have a grocery store club card? There you go. Every time yeah, you it, use it. it yeah, it, it's funny. There was a I, I, I spoke to some security conference years ago and I don't remember now. I don't remember which one it was, but I was uh, I was followed on my talk by another privacy guy and i mean this was you know sort of at the rabid end of of privacy sort of an you know an eff sort of person who who literally told the audience and and recommended that that what that they do what he does which is when he's in line in the supermarket he turns to the person behind him and invites them to swap supermarket um (laughs) cards. cards And he says, and and I suggest you do this and pass the idea along. You know, the idea being it's just screw with com- them. <laughs> it's completely yes, it's completely scrambling up their database. Right. And and certainly, you know, if this thing were if that were to become viral and everyone were swapping cards with someone else, you know, you could argue, okay, well, you know, some of the same data is still being collected, but it, but there's certainly you know, no longer any value to the idea that, you know, this person is buying this because there is no sense anymore of, of a certain, you know, individual there. Right. Now, and somebody told me that uh, club cards, uh, you can ask for the house club card, uh, an anonymous. You can either get an anonymous club card, which, you know, you can always do or ask for the house club card and swipe at that one. And apparently the gro- there's some sort of because of privacy issues. Oh, so there's a law that they have to... I think uh, in some cases, you should ask about that, yeah. That does make sense. an interesting uh, point that many privacy, many many kind of more, um, you know, equitable privacy advocates say is, well, here's the deal. If if it's explicit, in other words, if a company says, well, look, we're going to aggregate and sell your data, uh, and the company offers compensation to you, something of value. In the case of a grocery store club card, you get big, big discounts. There's a real incentive to use them. Yep. Uh, and as long as they're up front with, this is what we're doing, this is who's getting the data, and this is the, you know, we know you're giving us valuable information, so here's your compensation. Um, th- what's wrong with that? Right. I know. I completely agree with you. I think, I think there, are, there are a number of things, a, n- a number of, of perspectives into this. There's the issue of the benefit trade-off, yep. disclosure, transparency, and control. Perfect. And so, Perfect. so for, for, for example, you know, you, you, you want to, for example, transparency is, you know, I want, I want access to the data that you have about me. I want you to be transparent about what you're collecting, what you have collected, and 
I, and, and then the, the control issue is, and I want to be able to delete some of it that, ah, I, don't love want, that. that I don't want you to yeah. have. I want, yeah. you know, I want to be able to make you either selectively or um, in whole forget what you know about me. It, that, and that's and that's I like that. And of course, uh, you know, also not only what you collect and give me control of it, but what you might be doing with it as well, who you might be giving this to. Uh, and see, and, and yes, repurposing of collected data is a real danger because you could argue that, you know, company A is in a certain business and, and its own and its its users, its customers have agreed to, you know, the general benignness of of what company A would do with the data that they collect. Right. But when company B purchases company A, mm-hmm. who has a whole nother agenda, I mean, it's it's I think it's one of the reasons that people are very uncomfortable about the idea of Google purchasing DoubleClick. Right. Is it's like, okay, DoubleClick was sort of bad enough by themselves. Google, I mean, search is another perfect example of of knowledge base aggregation because you know, we know that Google is a is, is a rabid cookie planter. They're planting cookies everywhere they can, and they know about everything I search on. Boy, and we also know that even if they don't collect personal information, those searches in aggregate say a lot about you. As we found out when a reporter got that AOL search information, it was able to track down the person based on the search information alone. Right. Because it tells you so much about you in aggregate. Yeah, I think that the the other issue is is what I call the benefit trade off. And for example, I would argue that that we pro, we TiVo users probably get very little benefit uh, from from the fact that TiVo is is getting tremendous benefit from selling our data. Uh, well, except maybe that it's keeping TiVo from going out of business, and we'd like TiVo yeah. not to go not, <laughs> not part of not their to business, business model. Yeah. But no, um, you make a point. We don't get otherwise. We don't get anything out of it, right? And 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 as you were saying, the club cards give you a substantial discount. Right. So there's a there, there's a substantial benefit being returned for our willingness to recognize that 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 what we're getting in trade for that benefit is you know is a discount, and that we're in the in we're providing a benefit to the club. So similarly, I'm I find myself more and more using the fact that Amazon knows a lot about me. You know, the fact that TiVo knows a lot, a lot about me doesn't help me. But but using that networking model now, Amazon knowing a lot about me often su- is suggesting things that I find interesting. It's like, oh, you know, I mean, that whole idea of people who, you know, bought this book also bought these books. And it's like, oh, look at that. Well, that, you know, that might be a book that I'm interested in also or a service or, or whatever. So, so, I mean, there, there I could see it, it seems more transparent to me. I'm acknowledging, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm implicitly assuming because Amazon is being, tra- is being very transparent. If they say that people that bought or looked at these things that I'm looking at also looked at these, well, they're telling me that that data was aggregated about those people, so I, I'm, it's obvious that it's being aggregated right. about me. Right. Well, you know, they, so, they say you bought this, <laughs> you might like this <laughs> as a result. Oh, and the other thing, some, and I know that you know, Leo, you and I are about the same age. Sometimes I'll go 
to get some like especially DVDs because I've sort of lost track of them all now. I mean, I've got I, I have so many movies. I'll go. I'll, I'll I'll see something about a DVD. I go. Oh, I gotta get that. And you already and, have it. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's so nice now because Amazon warns me. Says, oh, by the way, did you realize that six weeks ago <laughs> you, you bought that? You, you already bought this. It's like oh. Gosh, that's you nice. Know, it's got to be around here somewhere. They have a new feature uh, which allows you to publish publicly everything you've bought or some things that you've bought on Amazon. And uh, there's a social networking aspect to that. And they give you the, you know, you have to opt in. You have to explicitly say it. I actually did it just the other day. Um, the, the thing is, Amazon also gives you reward. They encourage you. And this is a very smart move on their part with this Amazon Associates. You get a in fact, many book authors make more money by selling their book through Amazon with the associates fee than they get from their publisher. It's several bucks sometimes from the Amazon when people click a link on your webpage to buy a book. Right. So Amazon's smart that way. Well, another example of a, of a, of a concern that people may not be aware of is for example, there is a, there's a, a third party DNS uh, facility. We've talked about open DNS a, yeah, yeah. a couple times. Unfortunately, their privacy statement has raised concerns among people. Basically, they're saying if anyone asks us to to let people know who's performed what lookups, we're going to provide that information. Anyone or any government agency? Uh, I'm sure government agencies. Yeah. You know, someone someone gives them reason to to you know compel them to turn over their logs. They'll do that. And well, I'm sure your internet service provider would do exactly the same thing. Right. Although uh, our ISP would have to be would have to be filtering and explicitly logging our DNS lookups mm. in order in order to do that. Open DNS is saying yes. We're 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 keeping logs right. and we're making them available if we need to. Right. So so again, it's it's um, you know by by. By aiming your your PCs at a single DNS service, you're you're essentially telling them based on your IP, and there is no cookie transaction, thank goodness, in DNS. So it is in purely IP based. Although again, by subpoenaing records from uh, from your ISP, all the IPs you've had and when you've had them can be known. So again, it would be possible for a government entity to determine all of the websites that you have you or your computer has gone to during the window through which these logs are valid right so again it's it's uh you know it's it's something that's that's happening to an increasing degree as we become more and more reliant on technology and you know this example of me releasing my amazon information i think some of us are just kind of accepting of the fact that everybody knows what we do and and aren't too shy about what we do but it's probably good to be aware of it another thing that's concerning is that the patriot act uh allows government to ask for any of this information and prohibits the person they're asking from telling you or anybody yes. else, or going public in any way with it. Well, and, and in fact, I think that's one of the reasons. I feel, re- relative to the issue of concern, what what I have found in in spending a lot of time over many years talking to people is there is really a spectrum of yes. concern. Yeah, there there are, there are people who just who have given up. Well, I'm or, a public figure, so it doesn't. I have no privacy. Well, exactly. Or, or you know, they're, they're people who have just said, look, you know, I have no illusions about the fact that 
we're being tracked and watched and aggregated and I have nothing to hide. So it's no concern for me. Right. You know, th- that sort of person. And on the other, there is, however, a, a another end of the spectrum, which are people who uh, just for their own reasons are really concerned. I mean, they they want the knowledge of what's going on. They want the control. And, and I think more on principle than anything else. It's not that they're doing anything wrong. They're just sort of, you know, on on principle, they object to the idea that that entities they don't know are profiting from the information being gathered. Um, might do so, you know, might be compelled to release. I mean, they they just don't like the idea, and just sort of on principle, as opposed to for some specific reason. Well, I liken them to you because. For instance, you will tell us about not using scripting, you know, the, the absolute most secure way to be. And many of us are not willing to trade the convenience. I'm going to continue to run scripts because it's so convenient. But I'm glad that people like you exist. I'm glad that these hardcore privacy advocates exist so that at least we are given the choice. And that's the point, right? Well, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, relative to the Patriot Act, one of the one of the concerns about technology and this database aggregation is that that it the Patriot Act as an example represents a a dramatic change in policy that does affect exactly as you said Leo it, it affects the the nature of of what can be done with the data which is to say five years ago when these things were going on pre Patriot Act in the U.S. There were the, the 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 bar was much higher for for what a third party entity like the government had to do in order to obtain that information. But by a, a change in legislation, suddenly, you know, the laws have changed, yet the same kind of data aggregation was that was going on then is going on now, yet it's far more accessible to to entities that wish it uh, un, under terms that are much easier. And as you said, un, under under um, disclosure laws that prevent them from even acknowledging that they've been asked for this. Yeah, the secrecy scares me a little bit. And frankly, that's the other side of it. It's one thing if DoubleClick knows what I'm up to. You know, I, I'm more worried about the government doing this. I think that's that's the first step towards repressive government. Well, and I have to say that, I mean, I, I yes, I I hate the idea that that we're being for example spied on that, that that i might send an innocent piece of email that uses some some hot keywords in a innocent context and that it's just going to set off some alarm bell somewhere and bring my email to someone's attention it's like wait a minute i'm doing nothing wrong i just i object to the idea that i'm that that something innocent could come under scrutiny to me that that seems to cross a line I, i'm not not exactly sure how to describe the line that it crosses, but it just that that bugs me. It well, seems you like you expect that's that if you live in China, you expect your government to be watching on you. It's part and parcel of what the government does in repressive nations. We live in a free nation where we believe that we have the right to, to certain uh, privileges, including privacy. Privacy yeah. may not be specifically in the Constitution, but I think it's accepted that it is it is one of our fundamental rights. Um, one week ago, or I guess it was last week, um, I'm sure you heard in the news that some 
Now, some wacko strop, strapped a bunch of flares onto himself and went into um, Hillary, what would have Hillary Clinton's yeah. um, uh, campaign offices. And I, I, as I was listening to the news, I I noted that they very quickly determined that he had purchased flares earlier that day. And I was thinking, you know, I, running through my mind as a security guy, it's like, yeah, okay, interesting. So they know they, that <laughs> they figured out. Yeah, they figured out who he was. And, you know, then was there an immediate pull of his credit card right. charges to determine, you know, what he had been doing in the recent past? And 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 it's like, OK, well, I don't know that that's the, the technique that was used, but. You know, here we've got a guy, and it's really important to know whether this is this, this is really a bomb or if he just needs roadside assistance. You know, <laughs> right. in in a, in a critical way, um, and I guess I feel of two ways about that. It's like, well, you know, I mean, I'm glad that they were able to determine with some level of confidence that that these were automobile flares, auto- automotive flares, and not TNT that he had stuck to himself. But you hope that the that some due process ha- you know was in place that protects all of us from from that kind of scrutiny and that you know again that the bar is high enough for for the obtaining of that kind of information. Well, the CEO of Sun Scott McNeely uh, very famously said, and it was some years ago, "Get over it. Privacy is dead." And uh, I don't think he was talking about government privacy, but it certainly has deteriorated even then, even since he said that. And I think it's true that computers, in many ways, pose the greatest threat. Computers and widespread internet databases pose the greatest threat to privacy uh, in our history. Well, and even email. I mean, back in the old days, when you would, you know, type out a letter or even even print it on your, you know, Series One HP laser printer, which which predated the internet, and you'd fold it up and stick it in an envelope, lick it, and off it would go. Um, lick the stamp uh, and so forth. I mean, you know, your paper mail was probably private. You, you know, I mean, you, it wasn't guaranteed to be private, but but you know, well, it you was had, by law, but that doesn't mean it. Somebody couldn't have read it. Exactly. I mean, you know, yeah. steaming open the letter is right. a is a, right. a standard mechanism. But that's in, a onesie twosie, and that's what's changed in the computer era. Yes. They can scan this stuff on mass. They can scan it as you said for keywords. Uh, they can watch us much more effectively than they ever could before computers. Yes, I think that I think that's exactly the thing that has changed is that as our lives have moved more into an electronic mode, I mean, what isn't online, Leo? I mean, frankly, you know, I use my Visa card as cash. I, I don't I don't use cash, you know, counting out change in, in my wallet any longer. It's just, you know, it's not as convenient, which means that there is a record of every single thing. I purchase available from the, the the people that I have my cards with. This is sometimes called your data smog or your data trail, and and we all have one. Unless you fall yeah. off, drop off the grid entirely, I don't know how you avoid that. And I think you know this is a security show, but it really does. Security and privacy are tightly linked. I mean, one of the reasons you want to be secure is to preserve your privacy. One of the most important reasons. Yes. Well, I do know people, we've talked about this before, who routinely delete their cookies. They understand right. about cookies. They they delete them just as part of their process because they would just like to shed, even though, you know, the the expectation is this is anonymous, 
They just, you know, there are people out on that end of the spectrum who just say, I'm going to do what I can to to give you know, to to shed this kind of surveillance. I mean, there there are probably people. You know, another example is the um, the the electronic highway toll systems. You know, I have a little um, Easy Pass puck. Uh, you know, um, in my glove compartment, and when I'm going to go on a toll road down here in Southern California, I'll stick it up underneath my window, mm-hmm. and you know, it goes beep beep when I drive through. And so somewhere, someone knows that I've just driven you know, down the freeway at, at you know, um, at that point. So, so again, it's, there, there's, there's an increasing level of this kind of surveillance, um, passive and active just in our lives. I mean, and even cell phones, my cell phone is, you know, is, is on all the time. I carry it with me when I go out. Um, and I, you know, presumably based on which cell tower I'm nearest, it's pretty much possible to figure out where I am at any given point. Yeah. In fact, the point I guess some people make is that, uh, it's not only, not only the toll, uh, plaza that you go through, but in theory, government could hide these receivers all over the place and track you much more detail in much more detail. Not only did they know you went through the bridge of the toll booth, but they, they could know, <laughs> where you are every moment of the day. Oh, so, so yes. So I'm sure there are people who don't carry cell phones because they, they are aware that it allows them to be located. They will not take toll roads when there are alternatives because they'd rather harder. not <laughs> feed that information. They, they don't use TiVo because they That's don't want their television watching habits. They don't to use be, the credit cards. They don't use the Internet. They don't fly anywhere. Yeah. Pretty soon yeah, you're, you're right, living Leo. in a log cabin in Idaho. Yeah, uh, you're, yeah. You're, you're Ted Kaczynski. Yeah, I, I think that I, I think that, you know, in conclusion, it's it's the case that no modern lifestyle today can can conveniently, as you say, be off the grid. And, and that what, what the, the best people can do is to be aware of what's going on and decide where they fall in the spectrum of of concern and that and that for people who are concerned i i would really hope that there is transparency and control that 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 gives them control over over this kind of of aggregation but again uh, maybe scott mcneely wasn't so far off when he said privacy is dead but we certainly will do our best on this show to help you do what you can, at least in a reasonable, sensible way to protect your privacy. I don't think it's time to give up yet. No, and I don't want, I mean, I want the convenience of my Visa card. I want the convenience right. of not having to stop at the toll booth when I go. And, and, and then there, there's the alternative, too. I mean, even though I've got the little electronic puck that, that bings when I go through, if I were that concerned, I could go through, you know, the manual side and, sure. and throw coins into the fountain and, uh, <laughs> and, ha- and have the arm go up. Or so put it in the Mylar bag when you're not going through the toll booth. I'm sure people do that. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they they give you that little mylar bag to to block it if you don't want to use it to block RF. Yeah, right. right. This podcast brought to you by the good folks at Astaro. They're doing what they can to protect your enterprise, and by the way, protect your privacy as well. Astaro is the famous security gateway that combines open source and commercial software, best of breed software. To protect all aspects of security and privacy, you get anti-spam filters, anti-phishing, dual virus protection, 
And when it comes to privacy, transparent encryption. Absolutely. At the server, at the at the uh, gateway, you get SMIME or Open PGP encryption to and from automatically. You also get web filtering, like content filtering. You get antivirus for the web. So that's three kinds of antivirus. Automatically up to date all the time with the Starro up to date. You get anti-spyware, also automatically up to date. Uh, instant messenger, peer-to-peer controlling. You get, of course, complete network protection, as you would expect, firewall, remote access, and VPN, using SSL, by the way, if you want. Intrusion protection. Look, at this is all in one box about the size of a router. It's amazing. And as your enterprise go, grows, so does Astaro. They have a unique brand of active-active clustering that allows you to have 10, up to 10, Astaro security gateways together without additional load balancing. It's a patent-pending technology that's amazing. Look, I want you to try a Starro in your place of business absolutely free. Get a free demo unit right now by calling 877-427-8276. That's 877-4-A-S-T-A-R-O. And if you're a non-commercial user, you can try a Starro for yourself, including all the updates, everything for free, by going to astaro.com slash security now. You can download it there. That's astaro.com slash security now. A-S-T. A-R-O dot com. Call 877, the number four, Astaro. Astaro's looking out for you, your security, and your privacy. Well, Steve, well, I, I hope we haven't brought people down with this discussion, but I think it's important to talk about. I think I, the, the goal was just to raise awareness. I mean, again, we've said there's nothing we can do to you know to really be functional in in a in a contemporary technological connected society um and, and avoid this kind of surveillance yeah. but again it, it's just it's a matter of the the knowledge you know let people know what's going on they can decide where they fall in the spectrum and as you said uh we'll give people tools to you know help them give them some some control a lot of security really is about privacy after all you want to know more uh, for instance if you want transcripts if you want 16 kilobit versions for the bandwidth impaired please go to steve's site grc.com slash security now grc.com slash security now uh grc is a great place to go though for other things steve has a whole array now a complete toolkit of free security utilities everything from shields up to unplug and pray shoot the messenger decombobulator his new perfect paper passwords it's all at grc.com that's also where you'll find SpinRite, which is the best, bar none, hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, grc.com. Next week, questions and answers. Your, your questions, Steve's answers. Steve, yep. is it too late? I guess it's too late for next week because we're going to tape that one ahead. But if people want to ask questions for future shows, and I know you, you can't answer them individually, but where should they go? Ah, um, absolutely. I want to encourage people. I, I really have a good time reading through these things and I get ideas for future show topics. And of course, that's where we get the, the content for our Q and A's. It's grc.com slash feedback. Good. So just anytime grc.com slash feedback that takes you to a page with a form where you can uh, anonymously or non-anonymously uh, <laughs> send me a note that I will receive. Non-anonymous. Non-anonymous. Yeah, I did. I I did look this morning because I because I pulled uh, from the server the accumulated updates since the last time. 
uh, just to give some people a sense for why they may not hear from us or we may not read their question. I, I had 18,000. <laughs> from what? From just... From what was just a, just accumulated eight, wow. 18,000 yeah. submissions, which yeah. is not to say I don't want more because, I mean, I really do want people to keep them coming as as our shows raise questions in their minds or, uh, you know, or life raises questions in their minds. Yeah. yeah. But we, you know, and I and I say the same thing about my own email. I try to answer as much as I can and I have help. I've hired somebody to answer some, but I just, you can't always get a message, a response from me. Certainly not a substantive response because I just get too much email. Well, and one of the nice things is that there are many questions which are which come up again and again and again. We can and so answer those I, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, well, I'm able to I'm able to see sort of a trend in questions and then choose a, a good representative one for the Q and A. So even though I'm not I'm not answering a specific individual's question, you know, I've answered a question that has been asked ten times when I've been uh, scanning them. Right. Want to uh, pass along a little holiday gift from us to you, our listeners, the folks at Scott Evest, and I know you know Scott Jordan, and you do you wear any Scott Evest stuff? Uh, I you don't because it's so hot down here. All I can think it. of is like the hoodies and things. They have and polo yeah, shirts. Just... You should look at the polo shirts. They have stuff for men and women. They do have great hoodies. I wear their pants. They have shorts. They have vests. Uh, they have jackets hoodies everything you could want and it's all for geeks because it's got pockets galore they're they're patented pan personal area network that allows you to run the cords from your ipod or mp3 player or your phone uh, through special channels in your jacket or your hoodie they even have hats that have a space for an ipod i'll tell you this is this is a really great place scottevest.com s-c-o-t-t-e-v-e-s-t.com and our gift to you thanks to scott by the way for doing this is uh, 20 percent off anything on the website if you use my name, Leo, when you check out, that's the coupon code L-E-O. So thank you, Scott, for doing that. Some part of the proceeds goes to Twit, uh, but it's also a gift to you guys. 20% off anything on the Scotty Vest site. Does not include Twit merchandise sold from ThinkGeek. That's a separate uh, deal. But anything sold on the Scotty Vest site, scottyvest.com. Use my name, L-E-O, for 20% off. Kind of a little way of saying happy holidays from Twit and the Scotty Vest. Very cool. Now... Uh, we're going to take a break. Come back next week. We're getting closer and closer to the holidays. I should say Happy Hanukkah to you. I, it, it began this uh, this week. Merry Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Merry Christmas is coming up. I'm going to be in Egypt for Christmas. But guess what? We are not going to miss an episode. That's right. I don't know how. Actually, yep. I, I was just going to say that we're, we're doing double episodes for the next two weeks and then cramming one one uh, fifth one in just so that we can maintain our record of never having missed a week. <sighs> never you having that. missed yeah. a week. <laughs> that means we have Thank to tape five in the next two weeks. But that's okay. We're going to do it. Thank yep. you, Steve. Have a great day. Have a great week. We'll talk again next week on Security Now. Security Now.